So once I realized that, you know, if it doesn't start with you, it goes nowhere. And it almost goes back to the saying, if you don't love yourself, how do you expect someone else to love you? So then once I realized that, I changed my whole sort of outlook on the application process. And I went into my last cycle thinking, I can do this. Hello everyone and welcome to the Student Lawyer podcast series. Whether you're at school, sixth form, university, thinking about a career in law or exploring law careers, you're in the right place. We are the one-stop shop for student lawyers. If you'd like to join the Student Lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com. This podcast is brought to you by Feed Ignite. Welcome to the Student Lawyer Podcast. My name's Camilla and I'm a law graduate currently applying for training contracts. In this episode, I'm joined by Ayaz Sabor. Ayaz is a second seat trainee solicitor at DWF and founder of Trainee Tips, which is a mentoring scheme designed to help those currently applying for training contracts. In this episode, we're going to be discussing how to make a good application, how to pass the video interview stage and how to impress on a VAC scheme to improve your chances of converting it into a training contract offer at the end. So make sure you stick around for that. Without further ado, welcome to the Student Lawyer Podcast. Ayaz, thanks for joining us. Thank you. So let's get straight into the questions because we've got a lot to get through today. Um, So what made you decide to start Trainee Tips? And can you just tell the listeners a little bit more about what it involves? Yeah, sure. So um, I can't really say there was a defining moment where I wanted to say create something. I had the idea initially of a podcast, um, I think last year. Um, and I thought that might be a good way to get a story out there and get a, get a conversation going on, you know, how to do, how to complete applications and how to complete each stage of the application process and my thought was that each of my podcast episodes would coincide with the various stages of the application process that obviously because there are certain dates where applications close and then video interviews or psychometrics testing begins but then I started my training contract and then sort of that took a back back seat um, naturally Uh, and then this year I think well in, in the interim, a lot of legal podcasts then came out. So it kind of made me think podcasts might not be the best way. Um, I, I'm not awfully creative, so trying to get a, a brand image and um, something that separates me from, from others, I felt would take a lot of work that really I wasn't – it wasn't something I was passionate about because obviously it's just – yeah, it wasn't me providing advice to, to to people. It was just general. And and if there are listeners, then that would be the benefit. But so this year, I've, I found that a lot of students, obviously, naturally, with um, the impact of COVID and the global pandemic and the freeze and uncertainty that, that's happened, um, I could sense a lot of worry and a lot of panic in the air and not nice to see, really. I've been through the training contract process, obviously, but I did it in a time where there were no real worries, right? And I struggled mentally with the process itself. So I couldn't begin to sort of imagine how it might feel 
for someone going through it during this time. So then I sort of started putting posts out on LinkedIn, just saying, you know what, guys, just try and stick with it. It'll come. Take your time. If you get rejected this year, please don't worry. It's a weird year. Focus for the following year. And then through that, I got loads of people approaching me saying, oh, thank you for your posts. Really inspirational. You know, this, that, the other. Uh, all, all nice things. And then I just randomly thought a WhatsApp group might work. Um, I didn't know what I thought the WhatsApp group would entail. Uh, I didn't know how it would look. Um, so I put it out there, and I think I put it out there for maybe seven, eight o'clock in the morning. And um, by midday or by eleven fifteen, I think we had one hundred and thirty-seven people in the group. Wow! And it was it was it was ludicrous. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how it started. Um, basically, with no real structure, no real idea. <laughs> and a lot of guesswork in between. But now I feel like it's got a bit more structure. So what it entails is I think now moving forward, what we'll be doing as a group is we'll be having a Saturday morning um, question and answer session, whether that's with myself or a guest speaker. Um, we've got a couple of guest speakers coming on in the coming weeks. So we're at the beginning of July now as we're recording. And then on Sundays, we'll be having commercial awareness sessions these were introduced by the student lawyer's host, Camilla. She thought of this. Um, and it's a great idea, actually, where each participant gets around three to five minutes to speak on a commercial awareness topic of their choice, as they would or might get asked in an interview. And then I can try and provide them with um, some feedback on their delivery Um and yeah, that I think for now is is the structure of how. It's a long answer. I apologise, but that's no, it's <laughs> it's brilliant. And I think what is so good is the fact that you listen to the people that you're helping, and then you know, like myself, I suggested that because that's something that I know would help me in the interview process, and you were able to implement that. So um, that's that's just amazing. Um, Thank you. So what? does your vision for the future of training tips look like where do you see this yeah. going my vision for training tips is interesting i don't really being honest i don't really have one it's it's so new i think at the t- again at the time of recording i think this is what our second third week um mm-hmm. and the sessions are running great so ideally i want i want to be able to run more sessions with more guest speakers great right. guest speakers so there's loads of value to be had and, and, you know, you guys can ask as many questions as you want to those guest speakers and, you know, really have an opportunity to make an impression, have an opportunity to um, just to openly discuss any concerns, queries, um, thoughts about the process that you may have. Um, and then, yeah, I'd like to keep the Sunday sessions going with commercial awareness, whether that would be weekly or, or bi-weekly and, and give everybody a chance to develop those skills. And then I think moving forward, especially in this cycle, again, we'll, we'll see, because obviously in the coming year or so, there's SQE coming into force, and I've not really got an idea as to um, how that will work. Um, I'm thinking of... so. I think this Sunday where um, we're trying the new initiative of 15-minute calls. I blocked out two hours in my diary, um, sent a link around to the to the WhatsApp group, and people could book in for 15-minute calls. So I think those three elements, the Saturday session, Sunday session, and 15-minute calls, um, I think we'll take those forward. Whether I get more 
I don't know, future trainees, trainees involved in this to provide um, guidance and, and, and mentorship. I'm not sure. Um, but for now, I think it's manageable by myself. Um, I think there's you know, there's not too many people that I can't handle it. And um, yeah, I, I think that's that's how we'll be moving forward. Fantastic. That sounds good. Uh, just moving on to questions about your journey um, and actually just to, you know, understand, you know, how you managed to to, to break into this really competitive industry. Um, can you tell the listeners a little bit about your background and why and when you decided to pursue a career in law? When was quite an interesting one. It's one that I'd never say in a, in a training contract interview, but actually I was like nine years old and watching um, Jim Carrey's film, Liar, Liar. Oh, right. Yeah, that's a good film. All I remember is him going up with his, like... (laughs) Yeah, literally, the pen is blue. And um, from that film at the age of nine, I've always thought, I want to be a lawyer. I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it stuck with me, and here we are. But obviously, (laughs) I can't say that in no training contract interview. And this is not me providing any advice for anyone to say that, but that was genuinely where the where the seed was sown. And then um, a bit of my background. So I went to um, Bangor University in North Wales in 2012. I studied law with business, graduated in 2015 with a first class degree. Tried to find legal work experience, but that uh, that's the you know can be like banging your head against a brick wall initially when you've got no experience. So um ended up finding my first legal job as a paralegal down in Cardiff, actually. So I, I'm originally from Wigan and not in the Northwest. So I'd never been to South Wales ever. Um, and got an interview there. <laughs> Went for the interview. It was a partner and, um, and uh, a lady in HR digress a little bit and tell you a story about the interview. So I was so nervous that in this interview, because obviously it was the first legal job out of uni, it's like a big deal. And I was sweating so much in this interview, right? And I don't mind sharing that the partner got up off his chair, mid-interview, went to the back of the room, got a box of tissues, walked back, sat down and popped them in front of me. That is awful. <laughs> Got the job though. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that's. I, I moved. So I moved down to. Um, <laughs> so I moved down to Cardiff. Um, worked at this top one hundred law firm in their financial mis-selling department, um, which was really, really brilliant experience. It was um, uh, acting on behalf of claimants who had um, been mis-sold pension products. And we would take them, I think, against the financial ombudsman and or FSCS, depending on the status of the, the um, IFA. So that was interesting. And then I, six months later, got a job at another law firm in Bristol, worked there as a paralegal for a bit longer. And um, yeah, I in, in, that, in, that, in that period as well, I was studying my LPC part-time. So um yeah, that's a bit of the background as to my legal career up until, say, finishing my LPC. Okay. So 
securing that training contract, how many application cycles did it take you? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's the question. Um, so I worked as a full-time paralegal studying part-time LPC. And I think in the first year of that and first year out of graduating, I made maybe three, four applications um, in that year. Uh, no success. I think the furthest I got was video interview for DWF, where I am now. Um, but that was, yeah, a, a non-starter, really, because I managed to watch the video interview back and it wasn't anything special. Um, and then the following year, I think I made maybe one or two, primarily because it was getting to the business end of the LPC. And... Um, yeah, I think I just needed to focus on that rather than applications. So the the, the year after that was when I, I was successful. So I would say three. It took me three application cycles to um, land the training contract. And it, how did you bounce back from that rejection every time you kind of got an, a rejection email? Because I know what it feels like, and I'm sure many of the listeners will also relate um, sometimes it's hard to, to, you know, pick yourself back up. How did you manage to do it? Um, firstly, it should be hard. Um, it should be horrendous because in my opinion, and this is my opinion, but if it's not horrendous, you don't want it. Um, if it doesn't hurt, you don't want it. Um, I think if you get a rejection for anything that you want, um, it should really be painful. Um, and you should you should allow yourself some time to um, actually dwell on it, lick your wounds, have a bit of you time, think about what's happened. But then beyond that, you should you know go in and and and, and realize, try and figure out why you've been rejected at that stage. Um, how I how I did it was. I don't know, a number of ways. I had I had a good support network around me. Um, I was quite fortunate in that whenever I received rejections, that I, I had people around me, not necessarily in law, where I could just say, this has happened again. And they would just be at the end of the phone to give me comfort, give me reassurance. Um, and that helps to a degree. But of course... It's hard when you're telling someone who's not in the field um, because they just simply don't know how competitive it is, being honest. Um, so beyond that, I had, um, I'd say, a mentor. Um, so Gemma Baker, who was at Aspiring Solicitors, um, she was very, 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 we, her and I were used to speak regularly throughout this process. And um yeah, uh, it was good to have her at the end of the phone because obviously she is in the field. She is in graduate recruitment or has been and was the grad recruitment advisor of AS. And to hear her say, it'll be fine. You can do this. You've got this. That really did have some weight as well. Um, and then I think lastly, it was just, it was it was me. I had to pick myself up. And you kind of have to say, you kind of have to look around and think, well, look at how many people there are going for these jobs. There's an awful lot. I mean, I think today people have sent screenshots of some um, 
on virtual vacation scheme that's going on, um, I briefly saw, and 7,000 people attended. Wow. That's 7,000 people who will be applying for training contracts, you would think. So yeah. when you think of that and, and you put it into perspective and you think, wow, that those are the numbers I'm coming up against. That should, that when you get a rejection, should help it. You need to, you need to, it needs to help you get over the rejection. It shouldn't let you, it shouldn't stop you from, from applying again. Those numbers shouldn't put you off, but they should help you get over the, and think, you know what, actually this time wasn't my time. Yeah. So it's like, almost like, don't think about the numbers when you're applying, but then if you get rejected. Absolutely. Absolutely. Use them in your favor. Yeah. Yeah. Use them as like a mental kind of tool to help you bounce back. And I remember um, when I left an assessment centre and I knew it didn't go well, I just went and bought a tub of ice cream. So that can that always help. Helps. That always helps. Um, right. So what would you suggest for any of our listeners who might have missed out on securing a vacation scheme or training contract this year? Um, what would you say that they should do between now and next year? Prep. Yeah. Absolutely, 100, 100% they should be prepping for next year. Um, it's going to be, it's going to, it's going to be a very weird year next year, I think, um, off the back of what's going on currently with the global pandemic. I think a lot of the recruitment process, albeit it is application form video interview, which is online, I think a lot more of it will be online. So uh, we're, we're going to see more virtual open days, inside evenings, Um law fairs and i think now's the time for candidates to if they're fo- if if they've got no focus this year if if you know they've been rejected and that they've got to move on i think firstly ascertain why so look at your application if you got past application stage then your application was fine so if it was video interview but if you got rejected at application stage sorry go back and review it try and really be harsh on yourself and and come down on hard on yourself and find out why have you been too vague on the firm have you misquoted figures have you um, said the wrong firm in the application form have you made have you made such as like a very silly mistake but we are all human but find that find that reason why um because then that will help you going forward and that applies to every single stage so video interview physical interview and just find out what you think that reason why is and develop it develop yourself in that one area if you've got past application stage then great you're all that firm's type on paper and then beyond that yeah i would start practicing or start prepping and getting ahead for next year it's never too early it's absolutely never too early. The process takes so long. Applications take so long, so long. And the, the majority of it is research. So if you can get ahead on that research now and you can just keep your finger on the pulse with what your target firms are doing now and just you know do the, do the main body of the research, which is who the firm are, who they target, et cetera, et cetera, now, and then all you need to do is just keep moving with the, the market trend and, and their current news and then you should have a well-rounded image by the time it comes to um, to to doing the application next year. Brilliant! And I think that's what that's what I'd focus on. Yeah, no, I completely agree. So, in terms of 
like getting better and just developing your skills, what key skills do you think a solicitor needs and how can applicants develop these and demonstrate them to grad recruitment? Um, I think you're probably a great person to ask because obviously you're a trainee, so you know what skills you're using every day. Um, so yeah, I'd love it if you'd share. Yeah. Um, so first and foremost, and probably I think everyone in grad recruitment trainee solicitor will say it's attention to detail. Look, we're solicitors, it's ingrained in us that we, we, we nitpick on words. So, you know, there, there are court cases that go on that just base on the meaning of one word. So attention to detail is key. Um, and then I would say, you know, your, your normal stuff like time management skills, how can you demonstrate that in an application form? Well, you can probably get that across with university deadlines, uh, competing deadlines, showing how you've balanced a part-time job with your university studies, um, and just really, really elaborating on those kind of ex- examples so that you're really teasing the time management out of it. Um, I, it's one of my biggest pieces of advice, I think, in that I think inherently we we undersell ourselves we really sell ourselves short in application forms i think we have a tendency to say oh yeah I, I, you know I, I work 15 hours whilst um studying my degree full-time no big deal um whereas it should be flipped and this is a big deal i worked 15 hours part-time while still smashing out my degree and it's it's the difference there that can can really can really help how you can sort of articulate those those experiences um, and those examples and those competencies to uh, in in your applications. Um, and then other key skills, I think. I don't I don't know whether it's a skill. I, we can put it under communication skill. But I think one of the one of the biggest things I think I'd like to see more of. I do see some people, but I think. People get very, very scared. Um, candidates get very scared of people, not necessarily people in positions of power, because I'm not necessarily in a position of power, but maybe someone who they may feel is above them. Um, so, you know, I, and even I'm I'm a culprit of this back when I was applying, in that I would see a trainee or a partner or whoever in this really, you know, halo effect type thing, and I would almost crumble when I start talking to them. And then that doesn't really reflect well on me. So yeah, I, I treat anyone you meet as just another human being and just really have a, if you get the opportunity to meet them, just really have a proper conversation with them. So that's one of the most important things. And that's probably just the way you communicate. And then, yeah, I think demonstrating that to grad recruitment, you can do that easily at the, at, open day events assess when you when you get physically invited to assessment centers or even virtually um you can ask them how their day is and just really have a, a soft conversation with them and that will demonstrate that and yeah i think they're probably the key um skills i think for a modern day solicitor obviously you get your usual proficient with technology and all of this but yeah yeah that that makes a lot of sense i really like the point about actually um not putting I guess partners or whoever's going to be interviewing you on a pedestal um 
and just reminds me of some advice that someone gave me once which was to just try and speak to as many partners or solicitors as you can whether it be at open events or through networking or coffee because the more you kind of speak to them then you realize they're not these like mythical creatures that you have to you know (laughs) absolutely and I and I think that's why that's why when you might when you've had experience in a law firm and you've paralegaled I think that's why that may help more as well because you you work with them day to day and you realize that they breathe the same air that I do Mm -hmm. yeah completely agree um so I think we just touched on law fairs and open days a little bit um do you think it's worth going to is it do you just turn up for the free stuff or or can you <laughs> or is there any point in going to these Good What's question. Your um yeah the massive a lot of a lot of um reason to go to law fairs and open days um I think if you do your research correctly before law fairs you can really get a lot out of them. Um, if you if you do your research and you can come up with a list of firms, say out of the 60 that are there, I don't, don't really know how many attend, but some of the bigger ones, I know there's quite a few attendees. If you can think of, say, questions for a handful, anywhere up to like 10, you can go and have really quite meaningful conversations. That, that will then allow you to get across that that soft conversation that we spoke about earlier just with someone in the firm um and you can try and have a memorable conversation just nothing special nothing nothing outrageous nothing like um you know you've read the ft for the past week and you've come up with some great um analysis and you want their opinion on it that's that's not what i'm advising i'm just saying go have a conversation show that you've researched the firm Ask them how they think the firm's going, what their what what their experience of experiences have been thus far, and just really get that conversation going. It might be that it might not be that they remember your name or anything, but it'll come you'll come away from it thinking, I really like that person, or I really like the sound of that firm. And that will just put in your mind that actually I could see myself applying for them. But equally you can have a really bad conversation with someone who's kind of standoffish and have the opposite uh, reflection when leaving and think, actually, I don't see myself applying for them. And equally, that's was down the line, save you a lot of time because you are going to be working there for two years, at least. That's a really good point. So let's rewind a little bit back to your application, the applications that you made. what do you think you did differently between your unsuccessful apps and then your successful applications? It's a weird one. I think mainly I had a shift in mindset. I I went previously. I went into every application thinking I'm literally not going to get this. Like I knew before I submitted that application that there was not a hope at all that I would get that training contract. And that, you're laughing because that is not the attitude to have. That's so far from, that's so far from the attitude. I made an analogy to someone uh, yesterday, actually. I said, do you think Cristiano Ronaldo goes into the game thinking, you know what, I'm going to have an absolute nightmare tonight on the pitch? Or do you think he says, you know what, I'm going to score a hat-trick, if not more. 
And he probably thinks the latter. No, he definitely thinks the latter. So once I realized that, you know, the people who have achieved what they've achieved, whether that's sports stars, whether that's entrepreneurs, they have a sickening amount of self-belief. They have to, because no one else is going to believe in them. They have to believe in them. All right, there are people along the way that have to open doors for you because they do believe in you, but it all starts with you as a person. If it doesn't start with you, it goes nowhere. And it almost goes back to the saying, if you don't love yourself, how do you expect someone else to love you? So then once I realized that, I changed my whole sort of outlook on the application process. And I went into my last cycle thinking, I can do this. And it was, it was, it, it, it was, it aired on the side of, arrogance but i think it was on the confidence side i think i think i didn't i didn't cross the line but i do recall walking into assessment centers thinking i'm better than everyone here right. uh, and i i don't say that in a really negative way i don't say that to sort of show off but i say that to sh- to show the mindset i had and yeah to show to show how there was a change there in terms of the way i went about researching the application forms nothing changed because i i always research quite well but when you have a level of confidence and a level of um, um, self-belief, you come across a lot different. So where I fell down previously was my video interview. Um, and obviously with coming across in a different manner, being able to articulate a point better because I've got that belief that what I'm saying, I believe in. Whereas, if, but whereas previously I was saying stuff that necessarily I didn't necessarily believe. I think I should get this job because, and then that following sentence, I didn't believe. So then that wouldn't come across that well, if that makes sense. Yes, it actually really resonates with me quite a lot. Um, and I'm sure it will resonate with the listeners as well. That's really great advice. Thank you for sharing that. No problem. So um, video interviews, you mentioned that you had a unsuccessful video interview and then a subsequent successful one how do you you know what what advice do you have for listeners regarding video interviews how did you manage to change it around um so yeah what i've just gone over which is the self-belief and, and yeah that will that will sort of flow into your delivery um but beyond uh, yeah so good delivery obviously um and then i think um the video interviews are so hard they're so so hard because they're so unnatural they're so unnatural. It's just words on a screen and you've got to answer as if someone's there. Um, so what I did to sort of counter that is I would just record myself endlessly on my laptop. Literally just, I'd, I'd even remove the, um, the image so I couldn't see myself. So it wasn't even like I was talking to anyone. I would just have a set of questions, but I could see that it's been, rec- I know that it's been recorded. So then I just go back o- over and watch them. And if they were terrible, I'd go again. And if they were terrible, I'd go again. So at least that got me comfortable with speaking to nobody, essentially, um, because it's so odd. You don't get any speaker support. You don't get anybody nodding their head saying, you know, giving you an indication that what you're saying is on the right lines, that they're listening. Um, you don't yeah. get any of that. Um, so that I practiced that. And then, um, yeah, I, I took a different approach in terms of the last question on every video interview I took. And the last question I think tends to be, 
um, you have two minutes or a minute to explain something that you've not mentioned in your application to date. And, you know, I think going back to the earlier point of having that soft skill of being able to hold a conversation, I think being a lawyer is a people business. People buy into people. So I personally think that is the best opportunity within the process so far to show you as a person, to show who you are. Um, so I remember in my DWF one, I started just, I thanked them for their time. I said, this has been great, great opportunity. Thank you so much. And then I just started rambling about my love for snooker. Um, I was like, there's tournament on currently. I can't wait to go watch it after this. And just really, you know, showing a smile on my face, showing that I've got a passion about something and just really trying to get across that I'm not just this law student, law graduate, paralegal, LPC graduate, and that I've got something else because everyone's got that, but does everyone necessarily show it? I'm not sure. And that's, that's, that's what I think changed from uh, video interview one to two. Definitely. I mean, I think it makes it just a lot more likable, really, doesn't it? Absolutely. You know, if you show some of your personality, like you said, it's a people business. So I think that's that's good advice. And, and um, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, recently, uh, a couple of weeks, well, I think it was last week, um, we were doing the uh, Legal Cheek um, vacation. vacation scheme. Uh, yeah, the online vacation scheme. And I think that was highlighted quite a lot there, the importance of soft skills. And, yeah, I think that's that's really great advice. I think they're far more important than we give credit. Yeah, skills. that's it. I mean, I didn't really think about them until, like, last week and it just kind of clicked. And then yeah. see what you've just said like, now. Like, being showing, showing your bubbly personality and that you can hold a conversation and that you can just just be you. Like, yeah, I think we'll, we might get on to... VAT schemes, um, yeah, I think we do. So we'll get on to VAT schemes and I'll talk about um, this other point as well. Amazing. <laughs> Stay right. tuned. So, <laughs> past the app stage, you pass that video interview, you get to the, you get to the assessment centre. What advice do you have for that stage? Yeah, so um, firstly, make sure you have those conversations that we spoke about. So as soon as you see any of the grad recruitment team or any member of staff from the firm or even other assessment centre attendees. Hi, how are you? How did you, how was your journey, et cetera, et cetera. Because you're going to be, you're going to get asked by grad recruitment, right? How was your journey here? And you're going to go, yeah, it was fine, thanks. Because you're, you're, you're so nervous and everything's about you for that day. And it, and it should be because it's a massive, massive day. But don't forget, they've had a commute to work as well. So yeah. that little, that little, how about you? How was yours? Will go a long way. So those conversations. And then beyond that, I think you need to talk to everyone. You need to, you know, um, get on with the people, the other people who are at the assessment center, because they are assessing whether you can work in teams, whether you can handle conversations, whether you're a likable person. And they'll see that from how you're getting on with other people. And then, yeah, going into the actual, um, tasks so an interview i think as with any interview make sure you prepped beforehand make sure you've done a lot of preparation for that interview because anything can be asked um 
And then again, in there, show that you've done your research. So I got told that one of my one of the reasons why um, I scored so highly in my interview was because of my knowledge of the firm. And the knowledge of my the firm that I displayed was knowledge I gained on open days. So going back to the earlier question of are open days important? Yes, they are, because I learned that the the firm was open plan. I learned that they have um, drinks on uh, the fir- last Friday of every month. Um, and all these little things I was able to drop in the interview about the firm's culture, so about how I'd be able to learn. So I'd be able to learn by way of osmosis because I'd be able to hear people talk around me about interesting cases and I could just, you know, obviously you're still doing your work, but there will be times where you'll, you'll go in discussions and you can learn off people rather than being in an office. And just a little nit bits like that, just, again, they show that one little bit higher, one little point that you're scoring, that you've done that extra added bit of research. And then going into, say, a group task, for example, um, make sure you let everyone speak. But I'd equally say um, try and take a position of responsibility. So whether you want to take, whether that be taking the leadership role of the group, so you say, right, I don't mind leading this, and you assign everybody tasks, that's one. Or you can take the, the um, position of timekeeper. So if it's because usually group tasks are quite heavily time restricted. So if we've got 15 minutes before we have to present and we've got five minutes to plan, five minutes to go, uh, five minutes to read, five minutes to plan, five minutes to um, practice, then you as timekeeper need to be making damn sure that you're on top of those five minutes because they're valuable. And if you assign that role to yourself, make sure you're doing it, but do it because it shows that you can take on some sort of position. Um, and then, yeah, you'll, you'll have a presentation, eye contact, make sure you um, look at however many um, um, assessors that there are, make sure you, you know, make sure you don't talk over people, make sure you give everybody an opportunity to speak within the group task. Um, and just, yeah, I think just, just be yourself as well, show your personality and just try and remain calm where you can. I think that's probably the hardest but try and remain calm and don't show that you're phased. Um, and then I think that's probably all of an assessment center. I don't know if there, if there any more. I think that was that was mine. We had um, a document checking exercise as well, which was just um, proofreading document, and that was just checking for um, spelling mistakes and inconsistencies. Thank you for that. That's, that helps a lot. So, um, okay, so you pass the AC and then you get to the va- the vacation scheme. Here we go. Well, what you, yeah. Wow, it sounds so easy. <laughs> um, right. What do you do on your vacation scheme to boost your chances of securing that training contract at the end? Yeah. So, um, be uh, firstly, I think for a vacation scheme, you need to really, really be yourself. Like, they like you already. You've got to this stage, which is such a competitive stage. You've got there. Don't think now's the time to put this facade on that you need to be someone else. They already like you. Um, so, yeah, 100% be yourself. Stay true to who you are. Show that personality and, and just go and boss it. And then, obviously, be keen to get involved with work. Um, 
put your hand up for any task that your supervisor or trainee buddy may give you. And when you are given tasks, if you're stuck or if you're unsure about something, make sure you ask questions. Because it's all right to think, oh, I've been through a law degree, I should know this. But being a trainee now and having been in you know certain different practice groups, I know now that that's such a naive thought to have because there are people you're continually learning in this profession. So just because you've done a three-year law degree doesn't mean you should know um, a niche legal question on a point of um, construction, for example, if that makes sense. So if there is something that you don't understand on your vacation scheme, you need to ask and you need to be able to show your thinking when you ask a question so you can show your methodology behind it i think that's where you can sort of stand out um and then there'll be social events which you should go to and speak to the other trainees and get really involved in the culture and ethos of the firm and just really get stuck in we had um, sports events as well so we um, had football which i got involved with um, and i think all that shows that you're willing to get involved with the firm like that shows to um the firm that you are you're not just treating it as a job you wouldn't just be there nine to five um you're happy to be nine and beyond so you wouldn't be watching the clock at 4:59. exactly exactly yeah one more minute and i can go exactly and then probably the biggest piece of advice which flows from the first one being yourself and and from earlier points of, of talk like just having conversations is literally just get stuck in with conversations. If you're in an open plan office, people are going to be talking all around you, right? Just as they are in normal offices. Don't think because you're being assessed in this goldfish bowl type experience, you can't get involved. You absolutely can. Again, you're showing your personality, you're showing your fit in, and you're showing you can work at that firm and get on with the culture. Two of the biggest things I spoke about on my VAT scheme right? Surprisingly, not law. One, World Cup. Two, Love Island. And getting involved in those conversations, all it does is just show a personality. Yeah, that's that's brilliant. <laughs> okay, so I'd really like to ask you some questions about what it's been like as a trainee, really. So can you give us a quick overview of the seats you've completed and what they involve? Sure. So, um, I'm now in my second seat. My first seat was construction. Um, This was a mixture of contentious and non-contentious work, so litigation and non-litigation. So I um, assisted on uh, the construction side of major developments, um, sort of hotels, um, new developments uh, in and around the UK. Um, And that was really interesting. I'd never, ever prior to the start of my training contract, ever considered construction as an area. And it's an extremely, extremely interesting area of law. And the non-contentious side was really interesting, you know, helping uh, draft warranties, which are um, sort of promises from different contractors as to their obligations and appointments, which are the formal appointment letters uh, of the terms in which an architect will carry out a role um, on a job. So they that that was a really interesting um, side of the seat. And then there was the contentious side, which was equally as interesting. Um, I didn't have an 
an amazing amount of exposure to um, to the lit- litigation side, but I did assist on a, I was leading a disclosure task on a twenty million pound case, which was quite quite good. It was nerve wracking, but it was quite good. Um, so overall, that was a really really good seat. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and um, hopefully, I get to do it again. Maybe uh, we'll see. Um, and then now I'm in. Now I'm in occupational health, which is an insurance seat. So we act on behalf of insurer clients, defending um, employers and public liability claims. Um, And that's quite interesting. Again, a seat that I never ever considered um, prior to the training contract, but it's it's really quite interesting. Um, No two claims, cases, um, days are the same. There's some quite, quite weird cases and wonderful and it's quite interesting it's quite interesting to see the the um, methodology behind how you decide whether you know a claim is one to defend or whether it's one to settle early and i enjoy that sort of thought process interesting are there any highlights of your training contract that you'd like to share i think i I mean there's no one real moment i think that leading that uh, 20 million pound disclosure task was brilliant um i've had the opportunity to um attend the legal geek legal design geek tech conference um in london which was really interesting on legal design and how ai and tech will influence the market um going forward that was really interesting probably one of the uh quite interesting moment within the training contract um and then, yeah, I just think I just think overall the training contract so far has been a really, really good experience. It's been well supported, well run, even given what's happening now. Um, and yeah, I've just thoroughly enjoyed it, and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. <laughs> so, what's it like being complete? Yeah. What has it been like completing your second seat during COVID nineteen pandemic? Obviously, yeah. this is not what you expected. You think not at all. Contract. you didn't think we'd be sat at home. <laughs> not at all. Oh, could you imagine having a training, like last year, applying for a training contract that was just remote? That, that would have been the weirdest thing ever. But um, yeah, it's been, it's been surprisingly fine, uh, surprisingly good. Um, yeah, I was apprehensive at first. Firstly, um, thinking would this work and then secondly are we going to get furloughed or are we going to get you know are they going to take redundancies etc etc but actually everything's been really great um yeah i've had a really i do have a really supportive team and supervisor and i think that helps when you've got when you're in such a new seat so i was only in the seat for i think three weeks before we um before we got locked down. So three weeks is not a long time to pick anything up really. Um, so I had to, I, I, I still ask a lot of questions and having that supportive environment enabling me to ask the questions is just exactly what I need. Um, in terms of work, I think I do the same amount and level of work that I would had I been in the office with less um, going to the printer 
and photocopying stuff and photocopying documents for court and scanning them in and scanning them into onto the system. They're already there now. Um, so that's been a huge benefit. And yeah, just generally it's been it's been quite seamless, I think. I'm almost too used to working from home now. Yeah. Well that's really good that it's um it's been a good experience. So considering. Okay, so we are reaching the end of this interview, which is just, you know, terrible. Um, before before I let you go, is there anything you wish you could go back and tell yourself at the beginning of your training contract journey? I'm going to sound like a broken record, but believe. I just wish I believed I could do it way back when. Um, and I say way back when I, I, I was, maybe I'm lucky, I only lost two years by not believing uh, but then equally, I didn't really know about the training contract process during uni. So maybe I would have taught myself about the process earlier. So maybe teach my, tell myself about the process and then tell myself to believe in that process. <laughs> How about that? Tell yourself about the training contract. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> otherwise I'd be telling myself to believe, not knowing what to believe in. Um, <laughs> so we'll go for, we'll go for telling myself what the process is and then what to believe in. And then brilliant i love that <laughs> so where can people follow your journey uh linkedin please yeah fantastic and i will put a link to your linkedin account in the description box cool. um and yeah that's fantastic so thank you so much ayaz for sharing your time with us thank you for having me it's absolutely full of um you know really amazing tips and tricks that i'm sure that listeners can um implement in well you know whatever's sort of left of this round i think there's a month left and then into the next round so yeah brilliant thank you so much um yeah until next time goodbye to hear more of the student lawyers podcast hit the subscribe button and leave us a star rating and review If you would like to join The Student Lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com. We'd like to thank Felix Knight for producing this podcast today.